Hi, welcome back to Litcentric Radio, the podcast that's a literacy coach in your pocket. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Webb. Today, we have another bonus episode for you as we prepare for season three, which will launch next Monday. So I'm very excited that season three is upon us. We have a whole new set of books for you and lessons to go with them. And today, uh, in this bonus episode, we're going to revisit the text, Stand Tall, Molly Lou Mellon. Now, this text comes from episode 12, uh, where I shared the bridge chart and lesson that goes with it, and I read the text. Um, it was the most popular episode from season one, and you know, for good reason, Stand Tall, Molly Lou Mellon is a fabulous book. And I'm actually really excited about the lesson that goes with it. It's a very uh, kind of deep dive. Uh, a lot of times I see folks talking about this book, and they often do some kind of shallow things with it. And you guys, this book is so much better than that. So let's take it deep and let's kind of uh, get everything we can out of it for our students. So in today's episode, as I mentioned, we're going to do um, some bonus work. And uh, in this episode, I'm going to share some new uh, text-dependent questions for you. We're going to focus on one particular aspect of the book, do a whole new bridge chair and a whole new writing task. So brand new ideas with the same book, which is really cool. And uh, for you Litcentric insiders out there, uh, in your inbox today, you should have an email from me and you should have the uh, lesson from episode 12 absolutely free. So for Litcentric insiders, every once in a while, I love to uh, reward your loyalty and offer uh, lessons and other freebies for you. And uh, if you don't have it in your inbox today, you can still sign up for future freebies and coupon codes and other special offers that I have um, from Litcentric. All you need to do is go to litcentric.com and scroll about halfway down on the homepage. You'll see a big button to join my email list. It says become a Litcentric Insider. And if you click there and add your email, you'll be added to uh, my list and some future offerings for me, um, including just simple things like when you know new episodes launch so you're ready to listen, but also lots of free resources that sometimes that are exclusive to Litcentric Insiders only. But for sure, my insiders get all of my freebies first, um, as well as some other special offers in there. One of the special offers that some of my insiders got the other day for me was a coupon code for 20% off of my new online course. And I'm really excited about this course. It's my running record boot camp. Now, in this boot camp, I've taken everything I've learned about running records and their connection to guided reading instruction over the 20 plus years I've been a teacher, which it's hard to believe it's been that long, but oh my gosh, it actually has. And I've taken all that information, all of the trainings that I do uh, live with teachers and schools and districts around the country, all of the information and, and questions that teachers have asked me over the years, and I've poured all of that best knowledge into this course. Now, this is the course I always wish I'd had when I started uh, doing Running Records. We go way in depth with meaningful instruction and demonstrations. And this is the type of uh, training that districts don't often provide their teachers. And one of the reasons I know that is because districts hire me to provide this training. This is something that I do um, with teachers and schools all the time. And uh, it's really the work with teachers has really informed um, how I look at running records and how beneficial they are for students. And also kind of some of the, you know, the tricky areas of when you first get started with running records. Uh, teachers have really helped inform uh, my instruction in this course and help me reflect on, um, you know, really the tough parts and, and the how to get through those so that you get the most benefit out of the time investment that you make in running records. 
So in this course, there are six units and we dive right into running records and I show you how to maximize um, your administration of them for scoring and also for analysis. Of course, that's the most important part. We want to know that we're doing that right and I want to help build your expertise so you feel confident in that. The course has 25 brief video lessons. You guys, 25 lessons. That's a lot. That's a lot of videos. It took a long time to put together. And there's 28 handouts to go with it. So you can get up and running with running records right away with your students. So take a look at the course. You can find it at liscentric.com and click on the learn tab and you'll see um, you know, the big button right there for uh, running record bootcamp. If you follow that button, you'll get to see the course syllabus. You can download that for free. You can even take a look at a bunch of sample video lessons in there. So you can get a sense of, um, you know, kind of some of the information you're going to see, how it's presented, and how it's going to benefit you and your students. I hope you'll check it out. So in our text, Dan Tall, Molly Lou Mellon, because I read the full text in episode 12, I'm not going to read the full text here, but... I am actually going to take a look with you at the very last page in the book and read that for you. It's very brief, but this is actually where we're going to focus um, some of our attention today in this bonus episode and bonus lesson uh, with this book. And the very last page, it says, that night, Molly Lou Mellon took out a pencil and paper and wrote a letter to Grandma. It says, Dear Grandma, I wanted to tell you that everything you told me was exactly right. Love, Molly Lou Mellon. So, this is a very cute way to end the book. It's a lot, very fun. And the kids notice right away that grandma looks an awful lot like Molly Lou Mellon. And Molly Lou Mellon is a teeny tiny little first grader and her grandma is a teeny tiny little grandma. So they have a lot in common because of that. So uh, one of the things I like to ask students, well, first I talk with them about the word advice because we're gonna dive in quite deeply here about grandma's advice that she offers through the book. Some of my kids don't know what the word advice means, so I'm going to have to define that for them and give them some examples. Um, one of the things I like to ask them is, why does grandma offer this advice? Or even more generally, why does anybody offer advice, right? Why do they do that? So my kids might um, understand, you know, advice can be helpful and people are trying to help other people, or maybe they're trying to help them avoid mistakes that they made themselves and they want them to be successful. So those are some of the reasons why, um, you know, we offer advice and something I want students to understand um, about kind of that transaction. Now, the next thing I wanna dive in on with students is to examine her appearance again, because students right away notice how small she is. And they go, oh, look, she's small too. But they don't always take it a step further and understand exactly what that means or the implications of that. So I ask students, why does grandma believe her advice is true? So, you know, what's the purpose behind that for her? And grandma really believes it's true because she's lived a similar experience to Molly Lou Mellon because of her kind of pint-sized status, right? I mean, this is, she has a very similar perspective to her. She has common experiences with her and true to, you know, advice in general, she's trying to help her navigate through, you know, those situations that she's herself experienced. So a lot of my students, they'll see that she's small and they recognize that she's the same, but they don't take it that step further to understand how that connects to the advice that she offers. I might also follow up with students and say, well, what evidence do you have to support the idea that, you know, she thinks she thinks it's true, to support this idea that she's similar and therefore that's, you know, why she offers certain advice. So that gives us a chance to go back through the book and pull out the specific advice that grandma offers. And this is where we get started with our bridge chart. 
So in this case, I'm creating a bridge chart that basically just has two simple columns to it. Um, on the left-hand side is the advice that grandma offers, and she offers four pieces of advice in the text, and I recommend you actually write these out ahead of time. It'll save you some time. That way you can spend more time actually um, you know, interacting with uh, students and with the rest of the chart. But she offers advice, so we put that on the left, and then on the right-hand side um, corresponding to that is we're going to generate the meaning behind that advice. And this is where our bridge chart is most important is because Students are going to um, gather meaning based on their own, you know, lived experiences and their background knowledge. And I want them conversing with one another and with me as we collectively build that understanding together. And that's the important part about bridge charts. Remember, a bridge chart is not a simple anchor chart or a poster, as you know, the case might be in some classrooms, where the teacher has written everything out ahead of time and all I'm doing is conveying that information to students. That's a very kind of one-way communication style and that is absolutely not what a bridge chart is designed to do. A bridge chart is designed as an anchor for the conversations and meaningful discussions we want students to have because it's through those meaningful discussions with the teacher and with their peers is where we build um, kind of the collective knowledge of the whole group. And that's what ultimately gets repopulated onto the chart. And it's through those conversations and then the reference to the chart that students can actually do much better um, kind of outcome tasks, right? Like if they're going to do some writing in response to it, or they're going to do a particular project or even do further discussion. So that interactive component where we build knowledge together and build collective understanding is absolutely critical. And that's really the only reason why it's a bridge chart. So for this case, let's actually go through quickly what her advice uh, sounds like, specifically like, you know, actually quoted from the text, and then what students might uh, think that it means. So the first bit of advice, she says, walk as proudly as you can and the world will look up to you. So this might mean, you know, you should be yourself. You can walk tall and be a good example for others. You should believe in yourself and you should be proud of who you are. So that might be, you know, the message that we build from there. Another piece of advice she offers is smile big and the world will smile right alongside you. So we might interpret this to mean you should be kind, think of others, be positive and be a good friend. Uh, Grandma also says to sing out clear and strong and the world will cry tears of joy, which is actually a pretty funny part of the book because Molly Lou, remember she sounds like a bullfrog or something like that. So it's pretty interesting, but we can interpret what she's really talking about is you should share your gifts and include others, be joyful and try to make the world a better place. And finally, grandma says, believe in yourself and the world will believe in you too. So here we might interpret that to mean you should be confident and believe in who you are. You should know your worth and you should also believe in others. Now, something to note about when you do an activity like this with students and you converse with them and talk about meaning is sometimes, um, actually most of the time I would say this, when I talk with students about, you know, like how should you be a good friend, for example, right? Because that's kind of some of the messages here, like be a good person, be positive. Well, how do you do that? Well, kids will often turn kind of to the negative and say, well, don't just keep all your toys to yourself and don't cut in line and don't push people. And they'll say all these things that we shouldn't do instead of the opposite of the things that we actually should be doing, right? So they kind of go to the negative side. So I think that's perfectly fine. I think that's a natural inclination anyways. So what I tend to do is when students go the negative route, like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't just keep all your toys to yourself. 
Well, then we flip that to the positive inside and we say, oh, that's correct. You shouldn't keep things to yourself. Actually, we should probably share, right? That means we should be sharing with people. Yes. Okay, great. And so that's what you add onto the chart. So just take their language and help them form that idea a little bit further and turn that towards the positive. So that's what gets populated here because the positive messages better match the actual um, language of the advice that grandma gives. So that'll help them um, kind of to think through that a little bit and help them with their writing task. And for today's writing task, we have a pretty complicated one, you guys. This is one you're going to have to tease out uh, with students. And there's kind of a lot of different sort of hybrid genre things going on here. But um, I know it's challenging, but this is something that all students can learn to do. Even our very beginners, our kindergartners, our first graders, they may not write this completely on their own, but they can certainly do shared writing experiences with you where you model some of this and they help, um, you know, share the writing with you, maybe even do some interactive writing to get more of their input as they build this with you. And that's perfectly okay for that to be the writing task. It doesn't always have to be a completely independent task. I think that's really important for us to understand in our writing classrooms. Students all, don't always have to be holding a pencil and having that pencil scribble across the page for it to be an actual writing lesson. Writing lessons take many different forms. So in this case, this writing task is very challenging and very layered. Um, but I think it's important that we put layered tasks like this in front of students, not only because they're going to see it on state and national tests that they take, but because when they get out into the real world, uh, whether that's, you know, you know, further on in their schooling, you know, high school and college, maybe in different trade schools or even the world of work, um, a lot of the tasks that they're asked to do are multi-layered and they're not, they don't always easily have a path forward. And oftentimes they combine lots of different kinds of skills. And so I want to present that in front of my students, even my kindergartners and first graders. And I just might scaffold it a little bit differently depending on the age and the experience that they have, but I'm still going to put this type of rigorous um, kind of ideas in front of them. So for this writing task, we're going to ask students to choose the best piece of advice that Molly received. So here they can go directly to the bridge chart because we've got those four pieces of advice on the chart and they can just lift it from the chart. So they choose the best piece of advice, write a letter to her grandma and explain why this piece of advice is so helpful. Provide an example from your life to support your claim. So you can see there's a lot going on here. First, we position them where students have to choose the best piece. So automatically we're moving into kind of opinion, argument, or at least persuasive territory, right? So this already ups the ante a little bit. So students have to position themselves in and, and take a stand, make a claim about which piece of advice is the best. They have to embed that claim inside a friendly letter. So if my students aren't used to that, I may have to scaffold that for a while right, and help them with that experience. The friendly letter is going to, like I said, embed that piece of advice and also the explanation as to why that piece of advice is so helpful. Okay, so we anytime students make a claim, they need to back it up with some type of explanation in that claim. And oftentimes, we also want them to provide evidence, don't we? Because the standards say to cite evidence, and that's something we want actually, you know, our citizens to be doing out in the world is not making, you know, highfalutin claims, right? We want them to actually back up what they say. So in this case, though, you'll notice it says provide an example from your life to support your claim. 
I specifically did not say cite evidence from the text. Now, we do that all the time in our writing classrooms and our reading classrooms, and that is excellent. We want to be doing that type of work. However, I don't want to miss the opportunity to help students understand that their lived experiences can be just as valuable evidence as something that came from a text or from someone else's lived experience. So here, what you're going to notice students might have trouble with is, first of all, coming up with um, a moment in their life that they can think of that relates to this particular um, piece of advice. But the real issue is going to be when they choose that connection or that moment that they can use to kind of um, support the claim and the example that they're giving, um, the issue is, is that they will sometimes choose a weak example or they'll start kind of bird walking over in some weird direction and it doesn't really tightly support their claim anymore. Um, it's a little bit easier, I think, to do that with textual evidence. They don't bird walk quite as much, but when it's personal, they start kind of going down this rabbit hole and you've got to kind of rein them in. So they'll, they'll need some support from you and some practice to really make sure their example is nice and tight and really dovetails really nicely uh, with the claim that they're trying to make. But it's important that our students understand that their lived experiences and examples from their life and things that they've actually witnessed are really important piece of evidence um, to support the claims that they make. So I know it's a challenging writing task. Try it anyways. I think your students will surprise you. Even if they do only certain parts of it well or even certain parts of it at all, it gives you a sense of where they are and it'll give you some direction as to where to take them next. So that wraps up our bonus episode. So many great ideas come from the most excellent text, don't they? And Stand Tall, Molly Lumellon is one of those books. We love it. So be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so that you're ready for season three when it comes out on Monday. So we'll see you next time. Have a great day at school.